Advent is a time of waiting. And you know, there are themes that emerge from this time of, we- of waiting uh, that are sort of consistent year to year. Last week, we talked about hope. Next week is the Sunday in Advent, which is given to joy. And then on the fourth Sunday, we meet Mary, and we see her example of embracing wholeheartedly God's will for her. Well, on the second Sunday of Advent, our waiting is marked by preparation, by the willingness to enter a process of transformation and change. If Christ is coming, then we must ask ourselves if we're ready to receive him. It's this theme that helps us to understand that waiting is not passive, but full of activity and energy. As we wait, we prepare. As we wait, we hear the call to be transformed. As we wait, we find that we need to repent of things that keep us from being able to welcome Christ into our lives. And who issues the call to prepare well for the coming of the Lord other than the prophets of Scripture? This is their season, really, and it's our duty to give attention to them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Zechariah, John the Baptist, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Anna, and Simeon, prophets, everyone, declaring the word of God to those who will hear. Get ready, repent, make way, receive him. Here he is, and look what he will do. This is the chorus of the prophets, and it rings boldly in the Advent season, particularly. So just as a way of review, let's remember the role that this season plays in our life as a community. Like Israel waited in silence for 400 years for the Messiah, so the church waits in solidarity with that waiting, and also our own need to wait for the Lord's coming in our own time and at the end of time. Advent begins in the dark with a single candle, and each week an additional candle is lit, signifying the approaching and growing rays of the light of Christ coming into the world until we celebrate Christmas fully ablaze with the Lord's light and his life. We don't rush ahead into the Christmas season. We make things ready, just as we would if we're expecting special guests at our home this holiday season. We would have a few things to do, probably. I know we would. And the prophets help us to make that preparation and to wait in expectant hope. The word wait can denote passivity, just hanging around, doing nothing, like waiting in line at the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles. (laughs) But no, our waiting is active. It's full of anticipation. It's full of longing, looking carefully for the Lord's coming. We have a new family member, you may know. His name is Wally. Wally's an eight-month-old Labrador pup. And we're in this season, which I fear we're going to be in for a long time, trying to train him and teach him what's appropriate behavior to be a good family member. And we walk on a leash uh, every day. I don't know if he walks me or I walk him, but the, you know the, the goal is that he won't pull. We'll get to the place where he just walks alongside me or whoever's leading. And when we get to the street that we're going to cross, I always tell him, wait. And he knows to sit and to wait. It's because we don't want him later to just go rushing across the street. He needs to learn that he waits each time. But it's really funny to watch him because, you know, the, the, the encouragement for him is food. It's treats. And I always have a treat for him. So while he sits, he waits, but he looks at me the whole 
time he's waiting. And you can just see all the muscles in his little body are tense because he just wants to break forth and run. Well, what he really wants is he wants the treat. Now, Wally's not a prophet. I don't think so. But he's reminded me of the importance of giving watchful attention in my own waiting for God's will to be revealed and worked out. Within that waiting is the work of preparing, of getting ready, of making things ready, coming into a personal place of readiness. It's not clock watching. It involves giving attention to the voices of Advent that proclaim God's good promises and then call us to be ready to embrace them. You know, Advent is, in fact, a season to consider all the promises of God, from the garden to the new Jerusalem. The Bible is an Advent book. Preparing is absolutely essential. Scholar and preacher Fred Craddock said, there is no Advent, there's no coming of God without preparation. And it's the prophets of Advent that issue this call to us most clearly. So what about the prophets? Who are they? What determines if somebody's a prophet in a particular place and time? We know the prophets of the Bible we know. In the Old Testament, there are books named after them, major prophets, minor prophets. It's based on the ministry they had among the people of God, how long their books are, actually. There are also prophets of the New Testament, those who proclaim God's word and intentions boldly. There are prophets in our own day who issue warnings and call us back to the heart of God. You know, it's, it's helpful to consider the role of the prophet because we might just think it's the person with the loudest voice. And there are so many strident voices in our world just now, all defending and protecting their own patch of land. It's what we're observing in politics. And partisanship rarely has anything to do with being prophetic. True prophets whether speaking for God or in our public discourse, stand outside the establishment. They advocate for others, not for themselves. They point people to tr the truth. They're willing to sacrifice their own comfort and acceptance for the sake of their message. And they're willing to speak truth to power. And for that reason, I think true prophets actually have access to people of power. And they have no concern for their own status. Now, they're not easy people to be around, usually, but we need them. The book of Amos says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. In Numbers, God said he would communicate to his people through the prophets. The Lord said to Jeremiah, Behold, I've put my words into your mouth. Our Eucharistic prayer from Kenya, the one we're using right now in this Advent season, in recalling salvation, history says, for a rebellious crowd you sent your prophets. And the Te Deum labels the prophets a goodly fellowship. You know, it's necessary for preachers and pastors to be prophetic. But I think the role of prophet is something else. It's God's word and life embodied for the sake of people in a unique way. Rachel Held Evans, her self-possessed of a prophet's voice, said this before her untimely passing. She said, what I love about the Bible is that the story isn't over. There are still prophets in our midst. There are still dragons and beasts. It might not look like it, but the resistance is winning. The light is breaking through. So listen to the voices crying from the wilderness. They're pointing us to a new king 
and a better kingdom. Now remember, the prophets are not necessarily the angriest voice or the loudest voice. There's a lot of that noise right now around us. Self-appointed prophets, people speaking their own truth for their own followers. Shane Claiborne, another person who could qualify for the title, says this about prophets. Protesters are still on the fringes like satellites revolving around the system, but prophets and poets lead us into a new world beyond simply yelling at the old one. Prophets paint the picture for us of a new world. They give us the thing to look forward to, but they also tell us the truth about our current situation. They are the ones most likely to tell the emperor that he is naked and the rest of us along with him. Hard truth, yet truth we need to hear. The prophets of Advent lead us into and prepare us for the new world of God's incarnation among us. They say, wake up, pay attention, get ready. God is really coming. It's no rumor. Get your house in order and celebrate, celebrate. Professor Willie James Jennings notes that prophets always need the wilderness. It seems to me there's plenty of wilderness now for the prophets of Advent to be clearly heard. So what do they do? Well, they declare, and they declare a couple of things, at least. They declare a new season, and with it, they call us to be made new. They call us to repentance. Now, many of us have some kind of negative association with that word, repent. If you don't, I do. Preachers may have yelled it at us. Teachers may have warned us of what would happen if we did not repent. And theologies may have driven us away with dry and demanding definitions of the word. What it really means is change. It means change. And it means change that we want. Transformation, something life-giving, something affirming. Malachi says the Lord will refine and purify his people. Paul, who's writing from prison, encourages the Philippians that they will abound more and more in love. They'll be refined. They will be made blameless for the day of Christ's coming. And John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance that is called good news. And who doesn't want that? It means turning from the old to the new, casting off death and embracing life, opening ourselves to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You know, repentance is the way to get where we really want to go. I was recently... Uh, I think around Thanksgiving, driving in Colorado. And I think we were heading back to the airport from spending time with our family there. Just driving along this large divided highway, I had this big median down the middle, and we were listening to the GPS a little bit, right? Because I thought I knew pretty much where to go. Well, I went right past the turn, you know? And then what does the GPS say to you? You know, get back on the track or whatever it says. I don't know, it's like... Okay, figure it out. And I just had to wait until that median broke so I could do a U-turn and come back and find the actual road that I needed. That's, this, that's a simple way of thinking about repentance. It's about turning around and going the other way. The Advent prophets wake us up to the need we have. They call us out of slumber. They encourage us to embrace God's will. They hold out the possibility, even the necessity, of change. 
A recent medical study showed that after heart bypass surgery, 90% of patients do not change their lifestyle. 90% of patients. My uncle was like that. He, um, he had like quadruple bypass surgery. He wasn't a smoker, but you know, he spent most of his time eating at the diner, the local diner. And he got out and was right back at the diner like the next week. But you know what? I'm like that too. We go on just as before. I mean, these patients had a life and death experience. You would think it would be enough to get their attention, but for most, it's not. Change is not easy. Which is why repentance, like hope, is a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit to be practiced. It's not just trying harder. Because with the call of the prophets to change comes a gift of grace for us to embrace. A dance to be entered where so much of the work is being done for us. doesn't mean it's easy to change, but it means it is possible. I heard someone once say, faith is not about works, but it's also not opposed to effort. The prophets say, take the step toward change. The Lord has already come to make it possible for you. Bruce McNichol in a book wrote this. He said, when grace introduces us to repentance, the two of us become best friends. When anything else introduces us to repentance, it feels like the warden has come to lock us up. But when grace gets involved, the truths of repentance reveal a fabulous world of life-freeing beauty. The prophets of Advent tell us to prepare well, turn around, Head home, the Lord is coming. And that's good news. The prophets also announce salvation. You know, we tend to associate the message of doom and gloom with prophets. Well, it's their attention to our current condition that enables us to see our way through to the good news of God's salvation. We're not left in our mess, but God is present to deliver us from it. Now, in my own church background, salvation was pretty simple. It was turning to Jesus so that when you die, you go to heaven and not the other place. Now, while there's truth and some appeal in that, it misses the full and the rich meaning of salvation that the prophets announce, that the scriptures give us, and that Christ came to offer through his life, death, and resurrection. In the canticle today, the song of Zechariah, the salvation is declared. He's raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his holy prophets, he promised that he would save us from our enemies, to show mercy to our fathers, to be free to worship without fear. In this song over his little son, Zechariah goes on to promise that John will be a prophet to proclaim to the people the knowledge of salvation, to announce the tender compassion of God, to shine on those in darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Salvation is our deliverance from the kingdom of darkness and our placement into God's kingdom of light. It's God's righteousness lived out through his people. It's the reconciliation of people to God and to one another. It's true peace, shalom, wholeness, where everything is as it is meant to be. Salvation is not just after we die. Salvation can be known now in the life we live through the power of the Spirit. And the prophets point to this source of salvation. They want to make sure that we don't miss it. 
You'll hear this tonight, and I urge you to come back and be a part of this wonderful service tonight. In song, scripture, and prayer, we will hear what the prophets had to say about the one who would come to bring us wholeness and peace. We'll rehearse God's faithfulness in keeping that promise, and we'll celebrate again the one whose arrival we for whose arrival we prepare. We don't want to miss who he is. You know, Elvis Presley used to frequent Lil Thompson's Steakhouse in Tennessee. Lil meaning a name, L-I-L. He was good friends with the owner who used to give him food before he was famous. Well, one night when Elvis was at the height of his fame, the Steakhouse held the ultimate Elvis Presley impersonator contest. A large crowd arrived, including Elvis Presley himself. So here's a room of people dressed like Elvis Presley, and he walks in, he's just part of it. Elvis decides to take part, and he sits quietly at the back. He said confidently, I'm going to mash this. Now, Lil was worried that the place would go crazy when everyone realized Elvis was there. There was no need. He sang, love me tender, to polite applause, and he came in third place. <laughs> he was there, but they, but they missed him. They missed him. There are many voices in the world, especially now it seems, all offering their answers to the ills we face, all pointing to those that they say, these, these, this one has the answer, this is the way we should go. And they demean those who disagree with them. The Advent prophets announce the coming kingdom of God. They cut through the clutter. They call us to make ready so that we would not miss him. We would not miss the salvation he brings in his wings. They point to the only source of truth, goodness, and beauty. It's for him that we wait and prepare. Amen.